Well, I say, I say, I'm <laughs> so thrilled to be here on the podcast, Shelby. <laughs> this is, this is P.S. You're wrong. I can't do it. No. This is P.S. You're wrong. This, you just sound this. like someone with a, like a, who had a stroke or something. I think you're like, <laughs> sl- you're just like slowing down your voice. You're like, is this how a Southern person talks? I just slow. Uh. I'm usually good, but his voice is so specific. I can't. He's like Foghorn Leghorn. Um, Foghorn Leghorn. Foghorn Leghorn. Leghorn. There we go. Uh, We are talking about Glass Onion, the sequel (laughs) to... Benoit Blanc's story. (laughs) I don't think that... it's No, it's a Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. I know. Is the technical title. Channel is... Yes, a Knives Out story. Um, by Ryan Johnson. You could try the Janelle Monet Southern accent. Oh, should I? I won't. You won't <laughs> catch me in that. <laughs> wow. Um, okay. Yeah, no. We we watched Knives Out a couple of years ago. A year ago? A couple of years ago. Did we do an Did episode on it? Did we do an episode on Did we? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. So because I don't think it popped up in our 200 episode ranking. Oh, yeah. You're right. So it must have been like... Your but I'm pretty sure that movie came. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it came out at Thanksgiving, which would yeah. make sense that we either did my birthday episode that week or it was like the, our week off. Yeah. Well, thanks for that. Um, but no, your feelings on Knives Out were similar to mine, which was that's great. It was a great time. Everyone was good in it. It was such a fun ensemble cast. It, a refreshing change of your usual theater experiences. Kind of felt like that classic, you know. He used to have these sort of filler movies that were still good, but weren't like genre and weren't like over serious or heavy handed. And so that was like a nice uh, well, mystery. itch to scratch. Yeah, yeah. A little mystery. A little I feel like you liked the original more than I did. Oh, I really? think I liked it, but I felt like the mystery of it. Sort of, like I liked all the characters, but oh, I yeah, felt like the you mystery predicted sort of it. Le- I forgot. Left me I forgot. A little lacking. You had predicted it down to the switch bottle. I forgot. I forgot. You're a magical genius. I was so smart, and <laughs> I just like, knew it. No, I didn't like the fact. Yeah, her. I didn't like the fact that it that like there wasn't like a. I mean, there was a bad guy, but it was like there wasn't a killer. Killer. Um, oh, I loved it. It was so good, and everyone in that movie was so. Oh, no. The casting so was incredible. And I could just watch a movie that had no murder involved at all that was just them squabbling over a will or whatever. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. Tony Collette especially was amazing. And Jamie Lee Curtis. And Jamie Lee Curtis. And, um, and Chris Evans. And uh, Dakota Johnson's dad. Dakota Johnson's dad. <laughs> and the um, Nazi masturbator. Yeah. <laughs> all kinds of great people in that. Yeah, what and honestly, happened to um uh whatever happened to Thirteen Reasons Why? Oh, you're right. I, I feel mean, like she I was having a moment, over. and then I she hasn't been. I haven't seen her. I know she was cast as like as the older daughter of Iron Man, but that scene was cut in Avengers. That's the last I heard of her. So huh. I don't know. Interesting. Um, we'll check in with her later. Um, but I. When this came out, it was a huge hit. It was instantly obvious that there would be a sequel. Netflix gobbled that chance up. Well, Ryan that, Johnson was on board. That's sort of a whole separate issue, though, that I feel the like Netflix we should get into. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a weird – it's weird because, you know, most movies – or maybe not most, but lots of movie contracts have – you know, sort of sequel rights baked in so that if the movie does well and if there is a sequel, you know, the studio gets the rights to the sequel. Um, Mm. So weird that the original apparently did not have that contract clause in there because this went to auction and a bunch of different studios were interested. Netflix won it. But as a stipulation of the contract, on top of Ryan Johnson, you know, making 
an insane amount of money, like way more than they should actually pay for it. Like he, they, <laughs> like, like the amount of money that that he was paid for this movie is not like feasible. You can tell that Netflix is definitely hoping to start, you know, like a franchise and probably do some, you know, uh, like merchandising and stuff with all of this. But, um, but Netflix got it. And part of the deal with the contract was that they would put this movie into theaters in a larger way than they had anything previously, because Netflix movies, Obviously, they want them to go on to Netflix. And so the window that they want to play things... but so Netflix wants their cake and they want to eat it too. They want their movies to be in theaters for a, a limited run so that they're eligible for awards. But also they want them on their platform so that people will, you know, subscribe to Netflix. So the big theater chains like AMC, Regal, Cinemark don't want Netflix movies to play in their theater because the sort of like window and margins and reportings and stuff that Netflix wants, they don't want to give them. So Netflix basically plays their movies either only in like tiny indie theaters or theaters that they already own that will sort of like fall to their whims. But Ryan Johnson wanted this movie to be a theatrical play because the first one had done so well in theaters and so for the release of this they came up with this weird cockamamie strategy that involved (laughs) it being in actual theater chains for a week which is the first netflix movie that's ever had that happen so the contract was strange and the whole thing is sort of odd yeah and it is sort of like you know people don't respect netflix still like even when they do eke out their awards or whatever there's still this judgment around it especially for the movies originally produced by them um so people are sort of like salty about it being a netflix film and have laid any faults they have with this second with the sequel at the feet of netflix and i think there's been general like i don't know kind of a it's still a very successful film, but people are like, mm, this isn't as good. It must be Netflix's fault type thing. And a different tone, different style almost to it. But I don't know. I, I don't really care that much because I didn't mind seeing it in theaters and I don't mind that it came out to streaming so fast. It feels like that's maybe more in the future than people would like to accept. But um, it meant that it got a little bit more of a word of mouth situation to it probably. Yeah, I think that's what they were aiming for because it came out for just a week in theaters at Thanksgiving and then was off, you know, you couldn't see it anywhere and then it came out on Netflix over Christmas. So I definitely think there were instances of like people who, you know, it's like I went and saw it, I told a friend, then my friend tried to go see it but it was out and so then they were excited to see it when it came on Netflix and there was more of a hunger for it. Um, But... Uh, but yeah, I don't know how that necessarily like ever translates into subscribers. Like, do, right. do we think a lot of people signed up for Netflix solely so they could watch the Glass Onion no. movie? Like, I don't think so. But well, and it's like sad that part of the charm of the first one was like how much of a surprise hit it was, where it was making millions when movies like it haven't been doing well in theaters. And if it's you know it's only former IP and like oh Marvel movies and whatnot that make it make their money back, let alone make any sort of impact on the cultural zeitgeist. So it is sad that to have a movie be so successful in theaters, be relegated to mainly a streaming service is sort of like, well, why didn't you, who didn't trust this? Who wasn't willing to, you know, pay up for this opportunity to make a better film? But obviously it's because Netflix is willing to spend huge amounts of cash to just own property. Um, and uh, hopefully this one doesn't, you know, hit the three season curse of most Netflix shows. So, <laughs> I mean, they this one has done well, reportedly. Yeah. And there is a third one already in the works. So Perfect. hopefully this is a, you know, a series that continues on because it is very interesting. It, it's crazy, though, that 2022 had two incredible murder mysteries because most years we only get, you know, one, if any, and then to just have two, like, blockbuster smash successes is sort of ridiculous. You're talking about Death on the Nile? Yes, of course, Death <laughs> on the Nile. 
and enough champagne to fill the aisle. Yeah. Which one is better? I don't know. Hard to say. Hard to say. I mean, um, I don't think there is a line in Glass Onion that is as iconic as Gal Gadot throwing the <laughs> champagne glass. So that's relevancy. That's impact. Maybe that's just me, but that's I'll be using disruption. that gift for yeah. <laughs> that gift for years. Um, no. So this cast was uh, talked about pretty early on. It was uh, filmed during COVID. And so people were being added to the um, list as, as we were sitting at home waiting for any sort of entertaining news to drop on our laps. Um, so we knew it was Catherine Hahn. We knew it had Janelle Monet, obviously, um, Dave Bautista and um, Kate, Nepo Hudson, Baby Kate Hudson, Lamar, um, uh, and then Leslie Odom Jr. That Les- <laughs> Lamar, <laughs> no. no Lamar Odom. That's what I'm getting to say. I was like, where did I come that from? Though that was uh, Chloe Kardashian's husband, Lamar. Yes, yes, Lamar Odom. Though, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, this is a fun cast. Like, I guess I'm excited. It's It felt different. But again, a lot of the characters that were cast in the first film didn't were kind of surprising twists on what we usually see them play. So I was interested to see this, this um, collection, this menagerie of folks. It felt I, like when they were casting it that there was a million people in this movie. Yeah. And then when the movie actually came out, I was like, oh, this is actually only like seven people. But it somehow yeah. felt like a lot. There was a lot of cam- cameos too in this film. I and guess a lot that's of it, true. A lot of it was kind of, I don't know, we can get into it because it was felt kind of clunky in the first 30 minutes. I was very nervous um, because it was like, uh, this is a lot of like cheesy referential like covid jokes and then you have a lot of zoom party scenes where there were random cameos of people that was just like what are we doing here this is kind of like cringe to me um and so i was a little anxious but then once they got to their their destination once they set the stage for the actual mystery it was a lot more fun and i felt like whereas the first one had a lot of good punchy moments and jokes and characters this was all about the slow burn and the way the jokes would suddenly come up or pay off was much more it was it made for a much more entertaining laugh out loud finale than i maybe expected um so all in all i enjoyed it yeah i saw this way back in september at toronto um and went into it excited because I knew it was big but sort of I don't know since I liked the first one but didn't love the first one and I was nervous about you know just it being a sequel in general I feel like my expectations were fairly low and I really really like this one I like it even more than the first one it has a different vibe to it for sure because the first one is so like whodunity and this one is a little bit more like twisty than the first one is i think um and less of like a straightforward murder mystery um it's less of like and here are the suspects and more of like you're watching all of these different types of things unfold and trying to figure out like various mysteries and the story in general rather than just like one who killed this person um but i i really liked it i thought it was great and i felt like even the beginning the COVID stuff I thought worked really well in a way that I have not necessarily seen COVID utilized yet. Cause yeah. obviously this was like written and filmed at least in part during COVID. And I think with a lot of COVID stuff, I mean that we have covered it's, <laughs> it's very like hits the same notes of like, Oh, we're making sourdough. Oh, it's a zoom call. And this had that, angle to it at a point but i think what it did really well is show you exactly who these different characters are by how they are engaging with the COVID crisis and that you have like the kate hudson character who's like having a secret party even though she's not supposed to and then you have someone like katherine hahn which i think was like genius 
writing and casting and her COVID thing where it's like, she's this politician who's liberal. So it's like, she obviously knows all of the rules and she is following them sort of in a way like, um, that the Aubrey Plaza character in white Lotus would, but then also like you can tell they're annoying to her and the scene where she like gets out of the limo or whatever it is to get onto the yacht and she's wearing the mask but like the mask is down below her nose and it's like sort of cockeyed I was like I know exactly who this person is based just on this like wearing of a mask and I thought that that was really well utilized in a way that wasn't as like TikTok tropey as I thought it was going to be yeah no I'm glad that they kind of got it out of the way almost Um, yeah because then as soon as they got to the island and it's like oh well now we are here together so you didn't really have to focus on COVID at all yeah and there was some weird joke about how they all got the cure basically or it was implied that they were given some sort of mystery shot and then they're like you don't have to worry about COVID anymore yeah (laughs) which is also you know a funny little a joke to have in a movie about a billionaire who's just so disconnected from reality and can do whatever he wants and still thinks he's a man of the people, Um, which is basically the thesis of this film. um, Because where the first film is from the perspective mainly of the nurse and the friend of the old man and kind of this class structure where she's supposedly accepted as one of the family but also never treated equally um there's like a rich payoff to seeing that character succeed whereas this the real like hero of the story is at first benoit as our sort of entrant into the group um he receives an invitation to this uber you know um close-knit friend group getaway hosted by a mega billionaire on his private island and then it turns out oh i didn't mean to invite you so who did invite you type thing and that's the first mystery and then you have the emotional um good person to root for in janelle monet in the second half but it did feel like less i don't know polished to me than the first i i feel like the jokes were funny here but as a whole piece as an entire statement it felt a little bit more I don't know, kind of kind of silly or, or sanded down. Like it's like, it, well, yeah. <laughs> the, the political statement of the first one was like so clear yeah. in it's like eat the rich where the girl at the end has the mug that says yeah. like owner of the house or whatever it is. And, um, and yeah, you're watching all of these horrible people sort of like face off against her. And then she ultimately wins where this one, the message was a little bit more muddled, but I thought it worked well. And I thought that the, that the cleverness of writing and sort of like the slow burn jokes that didn't have payoff until the back half were really, really, really strong. There were so many moments at the end where I was like, wow, this is, incredibly done how this has all like been woven together and I felt like the intricacy of all of that and the degree of difficulty in the execution was sort of higher in some ways than in the first one where the result is sort of like almost like what you kind of always knew it was going to be um like you knew in the first one that Ana de Armas was probably going to come out on top at the end like it would have been a very sort of weird movie had like Jamie Lee Curtis been the victor. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also just feel like I agree. Like I think the jokes were more laugh out loud to me and I liked the finale. Um, but it is kind of, I think interesting to see the, obviously this is done super well. It has like 81% on Metacritic and like 90% on Rotten Tomatoes. So everyone's reviewed it positively. Um, word of mouth is a little bit more iffy. I mean, obviously still has huge numbers for positive from people watching it and talking about it and engaging with it. I feel like it ultimately comes down to, I didn't love the cast as much. And I also felt like the, there were characters that were kind of left off the, um, yes, I don't know, <laughs> characterization uh, plane that we got in the first film where even with those side characters like the 
you know, Nazi grandson, you got such a distinct taste of them that you like knew exactly their motivations and exactly how they'd react and whatever that felt so real and honest. Whereas this, I felt like confused about some of these people's motivations to keep staying in the way that they do and why they decided to turn on Janelle Monáe's character and all that. Like a lot of these characters are kind of just filler for one-off jokes and to have bodies in the room. And I wish there'd been like a little bit more attention to like Catherine Hahn's character and maybe like why the girlfriend of, you know, the, the like hot girlfriend side chick yeah. is there. Like all of that felt a little bit like unexplored because they were so focused on this like second act twist. Um, but I don't know. I mean, should we get into the and plot of it, I guess? Yeah, so they all get invited to the island. Well, the the first scene of the movie, I think, is also really well done. Of They all get these, like, puzzle boxes, and they're, like, ah, uh, classic Miles are, you know, yeah. sending us this box. We got to solve it. And so they're all on, like, a Zoom call together trying to solve the, the, the this box that has all these different clues and whatnot. And I think that is, like, a good way to introduce them all. But then... <laughs> But then the best part is that once they figured it out, you just get this scene of Janelle Monet like coming in with a hammer and smashing the yeah. whole box <laughs> and just taking the clue out of the middle, which I really loved. Um, but yeah, so they all end up in this island. It's supposed to be a murder mystery. They're sort of that the Edward Norton character is put together. And he's sort of like a Elon Musk figure, which I thought was especially interesting given that elon musk is sort of like i mean has always been bad but has been especially yeah. in the news crashing and burning lately um that it just made his <laughs> character resonate all the more and the thinking about it but they get to the island there's they're supposed to be there for this birthday party that's a murder mystery but the murder mystery is instantly solved by Daniel Craig character before any of the game sort of happens. And I thought that was again. Oh my gosh. How do you think Gillian feels about her name being mispronounced? I had that same exact thought. (laughs) I they because one of the the joke is that Miles didn't write the murder mystery. He had Gillian Flynn of Gone Girl fame write it for him. But in the movie they call her Gillian Flynn. Which I'm just so curious about who who didn't know that that wasn't her name or if it was intentionally done. Um, I feel like that they just didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think that they didn't know that it was pronounced Gillian because obviously lots of people get that yeah, wrong. Yeah. But we it's know also Miles says her. that and he's, yeah, his whole and character he's point is that he constantly gets words wrong and mispronounces things That's and doesn't true care too. about things as much as things happen. Mm-hmm. But it is interesting to think of, you know, Gillian Flynn is a Oscar nominated screenwriter, right? Yeah. I wonder if I'm going to Google How this would it feel to anyone to get to be a joke, to be a punchline in a film, but to have it, have him say your name wrong. It just has to hurt a little bit. It has to sting. Yeah, I'm looking. <laughs> I'm looking. But that was, like, a, that was a highlight for me as a former literary um, assistant, literary agent assistant. Wait, okay. So she tweeted about it. <gasps> She says, cannot say how much fun I had watching Glass Onion last night, the most twisty, clever, funny movie I've seen this year. Then I had my name dropped in the movie. Thanks for that moment, Ryan Johnson. Also love the sly red herring where my name was pronounced Jillian (laughs) instead of the way I say it. She's like, yeah, that was intentional, right? (laughs) But I'm laughing with you. (laughs) With any pronunciation, murder mystery weekend on me, half price. Amazing, iconic. Let's and then Ryan Johnson responds and says, "Ah, thank you so much. Glad you liked it. I figured Miles would hire the best, but it doesn't sound like (laughs) he is not saying that. He's like, you caught it. So I think that it was an accident. (laughs) Amazing. Then Uh, Swifty eighty said, "Please work with Rosamund Pike next time." So oh, perfect. I she would be great. I feel like in a Knives Out. Yeah, we'll have to cast it at Universe. the end of this episode, but there's a lot of good ideas floating out there. But anyways, I interrupted. Oh, yeah. So they so Benoit solves the mystery. And <laughs> yeah. then and then I feel like then we get into the second half, which I don't exactly remember how all of the timeline works, because I did see this a while ago, but it's like there's the 
the Dave Batista character gets poisoned and dies. And then there's sort of like all of this kerfuffle and we real. And then in all of the, like the lights go out and people are running around. Then the Janelle Monet character gets shot. And then we go into the flashback. Yes. Is that how uh, that works? Yeah, basically. And then the flashback, we realize that the Janelle Monet character, because in the first half of the movie, she's sort of like very mysterious, wandering around. There's some weird scenes where she's like stumbling or yeah. says no something. No one actually odd. like expected her to show up. No one's talking to her. It's all very awkward. Yeah, it's very weird. And then we realize that she's actually a twin, dun, and that dun, the dun. and that the version of the the twin who was like the co-founder of this tech company with Edward Norton has been murdered and so the living twin who is not the not the tech person has paired up with Daniel Craig to go to this island and try to solve the mystery of who killed yeah tech Janelle Monet so it's interesting because the first the first season the first movie's mystery was so fun to me Whereas this was immediately like clear to me who the bad guy was and who the killer was. And so even when it was like, like it was always, I guess, you know, I didn't necessarily expect there to be this twin flashback, but it seemed like it would always be whatever the problem is, he would be the one. Like I didn't ever feel like he was at risk. I felt like he was, he was going to be the bad guy who did the murder. And so did you find like that was obvious to you? And also did that like ruin the fun for you as someone who felt like you figured out the first one too fast? Well, I think that the thing with the first one is that it was so clear what the mystery was. And this unravels in so many mm. different layers that because you don't even realize that Janelle Monet, like you don't even realize that anybody has really died until right. you get halfway into the movie and then the Dave Batista character dies, but you're sort of like, oh, okay, because then you immediately go into this flashback. Um, and then you're like, wait, there's a twin, and this was all sort of a setup, and the, uh, the other Janelle Monet character was already dead. So I feel like by the time, like, the number of things that were in the air, I wasn't necessarily like, okay, I there were so many mysteries that I didn't right. feel like I was like, oh, I know exactly what happened. And yeah. then... When, oh, the Janelle Monet character who's still alive actually didn't get shot, but <laughs> had been protected. Like, it just kept taking these twists and moving right. on in a way that was interesting, but not necessarily like a typical mystery novel. Yeah. And so I felt like I wasn't really spending very much time trying to solve anything. I was mm. just sort of like along for the ride. Yeah, that makes sense. It just feels like, like especially looking back at it, it just feels kind of shallow, like kind of vapid the way it was set up to just be this like, I don't know, I guess I see your point and the fun of it just being like twisty and wild and unpredictable and over the top. But it didn't feel as like much of a triumph, I guess, in how it ended. Because one of the main issues is these fair weather friends that all these little followers are. And again, they just felt a little like shallowly scripted to me where it's clear they have some like problems with Miles and, you know, Leslie Odom Jr. is like the scientist who's trying to make this thing happen. He doesn't think should happen and feels rushed by Miles, but feels like he can't really stand up to him. Catherine Hahn is obviously being bankrolled by him and has some anxiety about where that's going to go for her political career. Um, uh, Kate Hudson was like made famous by him, I guess, or given, or no, she was given money to start her sweats business. <laughs> well, they were and all, then... because they were all sort of nobodies. And then he, Edward Norton and Janelle Monet, like created this company that made all this money. And then sort of all of their friends got famous and successful because of them. Yeah. And so our, and then when the two of them sort of split up and went different ways all of the friends stuck with edward norton instead of janelle monet because they thought that they just Edward thought norton... he was the one who'd be successful is that why because it seemed well, like 
I think that he was just had like, because he cheated Janelle Monet out of the money. And so the money right. was still with Edward Norton. And they were like, okay, well, we got to be with the money because he's right. the one who's actually like funding all of this. But for I guess us. the point is that if they, because they all betrayed her and are like, he was the founder. She never founded this and like lied about this famous moment in their friendship at the napkin and her deciding it. And so why did they, why did they lie if they could have just turned the tables and been like, no, she's telling the truth. Um, that is a question that I think I would need to watch it again. To <laughs> You're like, it's been two. three months, Shelby. I'm like, I'm like, I, I, I don't remember the, <laughs> all of the details on this. Yeah, but it just but felt like they were there for convenience, the, almost. I mean, obviously. I think, I think that the thing with this movie is that the genre is a little bit more of like a revenge type movie, yeah, or like a Count of Monte Cristo type thing, where yeah. it's. I mean, yes, there's like the murder mystery element, but once you figure out that the plot is Janelle Monet's twin sister is sort of like going to this murder mystery to attempt to get revenge for her dead sister. Yeah. Then it's less about like who did what, because yeah. you sort of know that it was Edward Norton the whole time. And it's more of like a, how is she going to trick these people into sort of shooting themselves in the foot. And I thought yeah. that that was interesting to kind of like watch all of them try to uh, skirt around her and and save themselves while also um, like managing to fall into all of the traps that <laughs> Daniel Craig is laying for them. Yeah, I mean, it was like, it's funny. I, Rob didn't watch it with us because we went during – thanksgiving to the movie theaters and so he hasn't watched it yet and i keep telling him i think it's good and he's like well but you don't think it's as good as the first one i'm like well yeah but i think it's good in different ways and like it's funny and i still think about some of the lines and it there are so many details in it that make me want to go back and watch it and i think the the intricate layering of like character building for miles especially in this house and the the details of this idea being that he's not actually a genius he's just dumb and got lucky and now he's presenting himself as some super you know special talented businessman with great ideas and he's just a you know just one of those founders like we work or whatever who's just so talented that no one else can understand them but in actuality he's just dumb and benoit gets to make this speech where he points it out and it's like that's funny to watch <laughs> but I also yeah. feel like in the era of so many satires and like especially eat the rich sort of um take on takedowns of people it did feel a little bit like more like shallow in ways where it was just like well it's, it's definitely it's clever but it's not like necessarily the most thoughtful I mean I it's definitely more of a mainstream movie than something like um like triangle, triangle of sadness. sadness is which is you know making taking more swings and doing more wild things and also something like triangle of sadness does not have to, to be a mystery at the same time yeah um which this one does because that's you know what the series yeah. is about i i maybe would push back a little bit on that the characters weren't fleshed out. I definitely think that like the Leslie Odom Jr. character to me felt like a nothing character. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why he was sort of there, but I thought that the Kate Hudson character was incredible. Yes. And the Dave Batista sort of like Joe Rogany type person, <laughs> like he's not in the movie as much because he dies, but I yeah. felt like his character was like an in, like, I, I felt like that Ryan Johnson picked very interesting sort of tropes to go with that I haven't necessarily seen employed in movies very well. Yeah. And I felt like that they were not like they're cartoonish, but they're also realistic in yeah. ways. Um, And I don't know, like the first movie. Maybe the character development was better for some of those people, but also the cast in the first one had so many people. And I feel like there were lots of members of that family who I was like, who is this again? Like, who's that person's married to this person or who's their kid? <laughs> where this felt a little bit more contained, where I could tell you, you know, three months later exactly wh who was in the cast and sort of what their yeah. vibe was. Um, and I don't know, Kate Hudson, I thought was 
Kate Hudson was great, and she had like the best character. It almost felt like Catherine Hahn didn't need to be there. Like that's that's where I was kind of like like Kate Hudson's attachment to this guy and her need to be near this this funder made sense. Whereas Catherine Hahn, I felt like a little bit like it was less stakes almost. Um, and so like well, whenever it gave it. flashbacks to her, I was just like, I don't know if this is deep enough to like entrench herself with him. Well, you could tell that she sort of wanted to get out of that situation, yeah. but was kind of stuck in it because that's, I think where she got her start from. Yeah. Uh, and also, you know, it's a murder mystery. So you have to have a couple of extra people. Yeah lurking around um because i mean if it was just kate hudson it would have been like uh, but like, they should do they should have cut her given more to david Dave. i think they <laughs> and, should have uh, cut leslie, leslie Odom Odom Jr. something else yeah yeah <laughs> i mean because those two leslie, kept going off together and it right, was never leslie like clear Odom why Jr. and katherine han are we're sort of like a pair and you really yeah. only needed one of them, and then you could have spent more time on that person. I think exactly. that they just needed the group to be one person bigger. Yeah. But, yeah. The, yeah, it wasn't, I, like, the most distracting. And, obviously, Catherine Hahn is always a pleasure to watch. I just wish she could have had more fun, maybe. Or maybe, I don't know what I would have expected, but just a little bit more grit there. Um, because, like, Kate Hudson was such a sparkly um, yeah. character that it's hard to, like, stand up against Yeah. Them. Catherine Hahn definitely got less to do than Kate Hudson did. Yeah. Um, Kate Hudson as a sort of like dumb blonde, um, constantly putting her foot in mouth, having controversies, saying the wrong thing on the internet. Like that was very funny. They basically should have had her superimposed on Vanessa Hudgens, like (laughs) Instagram live where she's like, people are going to die. But but also Kate Hudson, I feel like it was sort of playing like a version of herself in some ways because (laughs) she's also had some of these uh you know issues yeah. like the the Sia movie that she was in um you know she's it, it it was very spot on casting because it's like she's in on the joke but also like she's playing sort of the character who that's a version of herself in some ways yeah. um I don't know. I thought she was genius. And and Janelle Monet also did an incredible job because she's playing two different people in the movie. And I think she was electric to watch. Yeah, no, she was great. Dan- it was kind of like, what an odd grouping of twins, you know, to have this. <laughs> they explain it as like she put on her rich woman voice when she was when Janelle Monet was the rich woman. And then she's yes. technically a southern nurse or school teacher or something Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) but i did like um uh they with kate hudson's character the biggest payoff is like she's in deep trouble because (laughs) she's using a sweatshop to make her famous covid sweats and like the biggest laugh in the theater was when her assistant was like please don't tell me you thought a sweatshop was where they make sweats and she just like stares at the camera for a beat. And it's just like those little layerings of details are what make this movie because it is kind of like narratively messy or like convenient where they get this flashback and then they get other flashbacks to fill in the time that we hadn't seen in the first half of the film. But I think it pays off in really fun ways where in the end they all come together for this final showdown where Benoit's like, you're just an idiot. You just lied to all these people and you killed Dave Bautista in the most idiotic way imaginable, which is just switching drinks and hoping we wouldn't notice. And, you know, he had a pineapple allergy and he dies. And I don't know, like that was funny. But then I felt like the finale, it allows her to go around shattering all these art pieces he's collected over the years. And it's just like the most gaudy, hideous mansion you can imagine. And they all join in, which felt kind of like unearned. But then she blows the place up, which felt wonderful. Yeah, the the all of the when we go back like in the second round and sort of see everything happen, and you're like listening into these different conversations. the The writing is so strong, and it reminded me of the conversations in like sometimes that are in White Lotus or more specifically in the menu where it's like, you're just getting these snippets yeah. of dialogue, but it's all so spot on. There's a line where Kate Hudson is like, it was a tribute to Beyonce about her <laughs> Halloween costume that I was like, that's genius. Um, 
Honestly, I think that the thing that I liked most about this movie and the reason why it like went up my rankings so much was the entire time Edward Norton is talking about how he wants his name to be like so famous that it's synonymous with the Mona Lisa and he has the Mona Lisa in his house that it's like on rent from and the way that they pay that off in the end because the Mona Lisa burns up in the house and they say you know like now for the rest of your life you are going to be the person who's known for burning the Mona Lisa so your name will be in the same sentence as it I Uh, Like, it it was just so genius how they had worked that through and how it came out at the end. And that's one of those things, like, I would never have been able to predict that, even though it's so, like, simple. And I felt like there was a bunch of those kind of things throughout the movie. And just, like, the cleverness of it, of, like, wow, this person's brain came up with all of these things and managed to weave them all together so effortlessly was... Like, hats off to Ryan Johnson. Yeah. And I think he made the right choice where the first film, he has his final, like, monologue. And he's like, the hole is in the donut. The donut is in the hole type thing. And while obviously Chris Evans is there, obviously Ana de Armas is there, it's like kind of him solving the mystery and us learning it with him. Whereas in this one, he solves it, he explains it, and then he steps back and it becomes Janelle Monae's finale where – Basically, Benoit is like, I can't be complicit to this, but like, go wild, girl. And he like walks out of the room and he's literally not in the last, you know, 10, 15 minutes of the movie. And I thought that was fun because it was allowing these people and especially Janelle's character to be like more take control of it rather than just being told what's going on. And so I thought that was nice that it didn't stick to the same trope of the first film. And it wasn't, you know, just like death on the Nile where this guy gets to come in and say what's happening and solve it. And then the movie's over. It was more like, well, what do you do now? Like, cause there wasn't really a happy ending to be had. Her sister was dead. This guy was a prick and he had tons of money and everyone was miserable around him. And so there wasn't going to be some sort of final payoff except to destroy it completely. And, <laughs> and they did it. And um, I don't know. I thought it was fun and kind of different. And didn't follow your same, maybe, it it felt like it tread more shallow waters for me personally, but I didn't mind that. Yeah, I think think it's good. And I'm excited. You know, the third one is on its way at some point. I think he's working on the script for that now. So I'm excited to see how that goes. I'm also very interested to see how this does in, like, the awards conversation. Yeah. Because the first one got nominated for a screenplay award. That was all it got. Um, This, people have been talking about Kate Hudson. People have been talking about Janelle Monae. I sort of feel like that those are kind of unlikely. But the movie has done so well. And I think is so, such a hit. And again, in this awards season, it feels like a lot of the more artsy things have been not doing well that you could see like people love this franchise and lots of people watch this movie and people really like it a lot. People, you know, giving it another screenplay nomination, maybe it getting into best picture somehow. Like I'm, I'm interested to see if anything happens for it. It got golden globe nominations. It got critics choice nominations. So it's definitely like in the Hmm. conversation. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't feel like <laughs> I don't feel like it was award worthy, but maybe that's just me being pretentious. I just felt like it was like I guess I would never ever be convinced that this is better than the first one. But I'm I'm not mad that you think so. You know, it's not like I think people have bad taste if they do think so. It's just hard for me to imagine it. Like anyone in that cast getting a nomination for anything aside maybe like original screenplay Uh, according to gold derby it's number nine right now in the best picture ranking um i mean we still have a lot a long way to go but it's between elvis at number eight and the woman king at number 10 you're right it's kind of a weird year for movies so because even like the so the best picture lineup right now according to gold derby which i mean you know who knows but it's like 
It's The Fablemans, Everything Everywhere All at Once, Top Gun Maverick, The Banshees of Inishirin, Avatar The Way of Water, and Tar. I feel like those six are all like locks for the most part. Okay, that's fair, I guess. And then and then on the bubble we have Women Talking, Elvis, Glass Onion, The Woman King as slots 7 through 10. And then on the bubble we have Babylon, RRR, Triangle of Sadness, The Whale, After Sun, Black Panther. But I don't know like you know, it, it it's a it's a year very heavy on like big hit movies. Yeah. And I don't know if the Academy is going to go for all of those or if some of those are going to get left off because really like everything everywhere all at once, Top Gun, Avatar, Elvis, Glass Onion, Woman King, like those are all like sort of bigger genre, not like art movies. Um, That's fair. So who do you want to see in Knives Out 3? I mean, I would love Anne Hathaway as always. I feel like she'd maybe, be great. Maybe Anne Hathaway and Jake Gyllenhaal can reunite. Oh my gosh, I would watch that. I, I hated like fun in it. the Viagra movie, but you know. But um, I think they both have that sort of crazy-eyed, all-in energy that it'd be fun to see what what they do. I feel like between this and then also um, White Lotus the casting opportunities in these sort of franchises where you bring in a whole bunch of new people every season are endless. And because they're more bit roles, I do think you can get people who are more interesting and who aren't necessarily just movie stars. Like I saw somebody talking about getting like Paris Hilton to be on the next (laughs) season of white Lotus and like, not necessarily that I think that that is going to happen, but I do feel like you could pick people who are a bit more obscure, who might be fun in a, like a, you know, a tinier role. Um, so I'm trying to think of like maybe people who are a little bit more off the beaten path, you know, if like you got like an Ariana Grande in there, maybe, or, Maybe. I mean, honestly, even like I feel like Taylor Swift was perfectly utilized in Amsterdam, <laughs> a movie that was horrible. But I do feel like if she was going to be in a movie, this is the type of thing that she could potentially do, you know, well, where it's like she's not having to do yeah. very much heavy lifting. What about um, Hugh Grant? Do you think he'll be featured again? Or <laughs> is that as gay as it's getting? No, I, I think that I think that he could be. Yeah. Because again, this is Netflix and they are less worried. I mean, they're not worried about theatrical numbers. Yeah. <laughs> so so I think that they're less squeamish about gay things. Um, yeah, that's Like true. obviously, because he only pops up in one scene and there's not really a place for him in this movie because they're on an island. But I could definitely see Hugh Grant showing up like if if the next one's some sort of like vacation-y kind of thing and it's like him and Daniel Craig are on vacation together yeah. and then like there's a mystery. I've heard like it should be their anniversary trip on a gay cruise and he has to solve a mystery. I mean, I would love that. Yeah. Or he's Billy like, Eichner. Bring Billy Eichner back, you know? He's just From trying, bros, Hugh Grant's all of our trying to gays. throw a fun party and... Benoit can't stop trying to see if there's a mystery happening, stirring up trouble everywhere he goes. I also think we need more, like, just take the cast of Booksmart, honestly, and throw them in Knives Out 3. Just, oh, Billy Lord would be great. Yeah, yeah. And Billy Lord has worked with Ryan Johnson before in the Star Wars Oh, movies. yeah, you're right. What are they doing? Like, come on. Another um, interesting thing is that Ryan Johnson has a TV series that's a mystery TV series on Peacock that stars... Natasha Leone that comes out this month. Oh, are you excited? I mean, I yeah, I have. I need to watch it, but it's um. I think that's. I feel like this could be a big moment for Peacock if this show does well, because obviously people are hungry for Ryan Johnson content at the moment. Yeah, too bad no one has Peacock. I have Peacock. <laughs> well, would you pay for it if your work wasn't paying for it? Um, we can't ask me these questions. <laughs> yeah anyways um it was fun i'm glad it's on netflix because i feel like i would rewatch this movie with ease and oh um, yeah same it probably will will be one we look back longingly in the in the months to come as we dig through whatever (laughs) 
Because next Dumpy week, we got. we're doing, and you can't see me right now, but I'm doing the dance. <laughs> Putting my arms around. I'm I'm ready. I'm, I'm here. To, I'm doing a backflip. Yeah. Is that really what's coming out? Is that it? That's what I think doing. that's the only thing that's coming out. <laughs> okay. Megan The Oscar is. nominations don't come out for until the end of the month. Okay. We... I when guess at some point we out. need to, some point we need to do our preview for oh, 2023 yeah. movies. Um, I don't know when the Golden Globes are. We could do an episode on that, but that's definitely not in the next week. Plane comes out January 13th, so we've See, got that so that's, planned. That's two weeks away. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. And then you'll be in town. And um, man, we'll wait, are we? <gasps> What comes out while I'm there that we can go see together? I don't know. I haven't even looked up what's coming out this year. I'm. I told you, I live life according uh, to my life. The sun. No. <laughs> Wait. You know what's coming out that week? What? The sequel to Searching. Oh. We really? should go see I that really, together. I didn't even know there was a sequel. I swear we talked about this, didn't we? Searching the like, the like. All yeah, and it's a... called Missing. Is it the same? Is it the same? No, kid? it's 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 Wrinkle in Time, girl. Oh, and Nia Long. Interesting. Okay, well, we'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll Anywho, it's Megan. It's Megan next week. There's <laughs> yeah, no. Okay. There's no getting <laughs> no around Megan. There's no negotiations. Okay. We have to. It's going to be so bad. Yeah. But maybe it'll be good. Yeah. I mean. Also, it's rated PG thirteen, which oh, I love again that. does not give me. I love that. <laughs> it's not giving me good energy. And Alyssa Williams is in it. Ugh, love her. I'm excited. Yeah, it'll be a moment. Okay. Well, this was lovely. Happy New Year. We're back at it. A whole nother year. Well, probably not a whole nother year of podcasting. <laughs> Just a couple more months until you move to California. But, so you know, rude. the last hurrah. No, you can't take this from me. I'm, so, I'm sorry you know it's the <laughs> okay, 17 hour time we'll, difference we'll for me way to stay i'll commute <laughs> <laughs> you'll take up a, a plane okay we will uh thanks for listening everybody we will be back next week with a pop culture roundup and an episode on megan uh should all things continue correctly and yeah we'll see you then bye